If there was a pill I could give you that would make you immortal, how much would you pay for it? Pastor Jonathan Fisk, author of The Issues Etc. Book of the Month, Without Flesh. Because you see, that's exactly what we have. And it's priceless, but it's also free. So why is it that nobody's coming to our churches to get this immortality? I mean, we can say that it's all their fault, or maybe there's something about it that we've forgotten. Learn more and purchase Without Flesh at issuesetc.org. Easter hymn, Joy to the Heart. Of course, Easter is a time when the church sings with joy over Christ's resurrection. But what about the rest of the year? What's the difference between the joy that Scripture speaks of, Old and New Testament, that joy Jesus promises us, my joy will be in you and your joy will be full, and that feeling of euphoria that we occasionally have when the day is going well and the sun is shining brightly and everything just seems to be right with the world, the day where you say life is good. What's the difference between that and the joy that Christ promises us? It has to be more. And what about that joy of eternal life? Is it going to be kind of the static state of joy? What do we make of the promise that that joy would be ever-increasing? Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. Live on this Monday afternoon, February the 24th. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Our series on the words of Scripture continues. Part two on that word joy, Pastor Will Whedon will be our guest. And a little later in the program, our series introducing the books of the Bible continues. We'll be in 1 Thessalonians with Pastor Brian Wolfmiller. Joining us for our series, The Words of Scripture, today part two of a conversation on joy in Scripture, Pastor Will Whedon, assistant pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois, formerly served as director of worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. He hosts the daily short-form Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, and he's author of the books Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands. Will, welcome back to Issues Etc. Hey, thank you, Todd. Joy to be with you. I wanted to start, since we're on the subject of joy, we remain there, with an email that we got from Stephen. He writes this, Hello, I really enjoy this series. The question, what is the opposite of joy, is asked at the end of the podcast. The answer given is anxiety, but in the context of a more general idea of despair. I just wanted to share my two cents, which is, the opposite of joy is dissatisfaction. Anyway, I don't disagree with the opposite of joy being despair, but I just wanted to share my thoughts. That's what Stephen has to say. Yeah, I really, I, I'm so happy you bring it up because I just want to say to Stephen, amen. I, 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 I agree with that 100%. And I would add that there's a connection with the whole idea of acedia, this sin of spiritual torpor that sort of can take over a person's life and is very tied to 
dissatisfaction, being unable to, you know, stick to whatever's in front of you, always looking your eye, casting your eye away to some other distraction. And I do think that's absolutely a key to destroying joy <laughs> instead of attending to what is before you. You wanted to take us scripturally into Isaiah chapter 51. What do you find there I on this word this joy? One. Yeah, this is one of my favorite passages in all of Isaiah. Isaiah 51 verse 3. For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the voice of song. And using Hebrew parallelism, it's important to note there then that Eden is the place where there is joy and gladness, where there is thanksgiving and singing, the voice of song. The Lord comforts his people and he transforms their waste places, their deserts, into little Edens, little gardens of the Lord. Think about for a moment the waste places, the deserts of your life. Those are places of dryness, places of great emptiness. And remember, we learned that joy is sorrow that has been transformed. So here, the waste and the deserts of our life, they're the raw materials that God uses to plant the contrary, to plant his Eden renewed. Zion is always the gift of Eden restored by the presence of the Lord. Remember Psalm 133, that the mountains of Zion are where the Lord has commanded the blessing, and the blessing is life forevermore. And so in Eden restored by the Lord's presence, there's always this byproduct of his presence, joy, gladness, thanksgiving, and the voice of song. Joy sings in thankful songs of praise to the one in whose presence it surprisingly finds itself. And that presence elicits this song that transforms the dry and empty places, the barren stretches into real points of encounter with the presence that fills all with his infinite love in his son. And I think you literally get to hear this happening in some of the church's hymnody. I'd like to just point us specifically toward this great hymn of Paul Gerhardt, who knew something about waste places in his life, right? I mean, who suffered enormously, who, you know, he lost his position because he was an ironic kind of a guy, and he was also a really good preacher, and he had jealous colleagues, and he loses so many of his children, his wife dies, he's just had so many griefs in his life. But he writes these words, Why should cross and trial grieve me? Christ is near with his cheer, never will he leave me. Presence, note presence there. Who can rob me of the heaven that God's son for me won when his life was given? When life's troubles rise to meet me, and the desert places, though their weight may be great, they will not defeat me. God, my loving Savior, sends them. He who knows all my woes knows how best to end them. And then... God gives me my days of gladness, and I will trust him still when he sends me sadness. God is good. His love attends me day by day, come what may, guides me and defends me. From God's love can nothing sever, for I am his dear lamb, he my shepherd ever. I am his because he gave me his own blood for my good by his death to save me. 
Now in Christ, death cannot slay me, though it may day and night trouble and dismay me. Christ has made my death a portal from the strife of this life to his joys immortal. Isn't that amazing? I just absolutely love that. It takes the moment of the desert, of the wasteland, of the sadness, and it's transformed through song by the very presence of God himself. And so the desert blooms and all of a sudden out of the sorrow, joy, and out of the desert garden. Jeremiah 31 is ordinarily kind of associated in Lutheran circles with the Day of Reformation. But you say there's something in these verses about joy, too. Yeah, the Day of Reformation. And we might also add it's also associated with the Holy Innocence. We'll get to that in just a second. So Jeremiah 31, verses 10 to 14. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, he who scattered Israel will gather him and he will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from hands too strong for him. They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion. They shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, the wine, and the oil, over the young of the flock and the herd. Their life shall be like a watered garden, and they shall languish no more. Then shall the young women rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. I will feast the souls of my priests with abundance, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. One of the great canticles of the the book of Jeremiah. So notice the start again, though. God comforts his flock by gathering them home to Zion, where they sing aloud and are radiant over God's goodness to them and his abundant gifts, and their life becomes like a well-watered garden, and they can't even keep their feet still. They have to turn to dancing, virgins, young men, old men, all making merry together. And why? Because Yahweh says, I turn their mourning to joy. I comfort them. I give them gladness for sorrow. And sorrow, Todd, is right around the corner. He goes on to speak the terrible prophecy that was fulfilled in the slaughter of the holy innocents in Bethlehem, Rachel weeping for her children who are not. And yet sorrow is turned to joy. They shall come back from the land of the enemy. The tribes of Israel to their territory in Palestine, yes, but that's just a sign of those who had died coming back home to God in eternal life. There is hope for your future indeed. In Habakkuk 3, this is what it says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord my God, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. That's obviously kind of the counterintuitive joy that we've been talking a lot about here. Yeah, I mean, if you have a passage in Scripture that highlights that, 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 that joy is not the same thing as happiness depending on happenings, that's it. You know, all the stuff that would normally make you joyful there is gone. And instead, all you have left is the Lord. 
and the Lord is absolutely all you need. So this beautiful canticle at the end of Habakkuk, it picks up all the themes that we've really been looking at. Things are bad, no blossoms on the fig tree, no grapes on the vine, no olives on the olive tree, no flock in the fold, no herd in the stall, no food, no drink. All the stuff that in God's ordered plan our ongoing life depends upon, it's all wiped out and gone. In other words, you're facing starvation, you're facing death, you're facing a true desert and waste place. And what? Then yet, this is faith's great, nevertheless, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. This is what Jesus was driving at when he quoted Moses. Man does not live by bread alone. Man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He who made all things from nothing, he's the only one who sustains our life. And he doesn't really need anything to do so. Manna, remember, it fell in the desert in the wilderness. So my strength isn't in the stuff that he uses instrumentally to keep me alive. My strength is actually in him who can use stuff or not and yet be my strength and set me like hind's feet on the very heights of the mountains. So there is joy even in the midst of deprivation if God is there. For even if he lets you die of starvation, he's the God of life who promises you that all you need for this earthly pilgrimage will be given to you, and afterwards you will have a resurrection to life where there is no privation of any sort ever again. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest on this Monday, February the 24th. It's our series, The Words of Scripture. Today, the word joy, part two. We'll look into Zechariah chapter nine next. My plan is to talk about understanding the Ten Commandments through the lens of the passive and the active obedience of Christ. Pastor Hans Feeney talking about his presentation at the 2020 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. So one of the things I like to do when I teach my confirmation classes, both my youth confirmation and adult confirmation class, is to talk a lot about how it is that Christ fulfills all of these commandments for us and understanding what it means to keep these commandments through the lens of the way that Christ kept them for us from both the perspective of his his active obedience, so his active keeping of the law, as well as his passive obedience, which is obeying the will of his Father and going to the cross. You can meet and hear Pastor Hans Feeney at this year's Making the Case Conference, Friday, June 12th and Saturday, June 13th in Chicago. Learn more and register at issuesetc.org or give us a call 618-223-8385. Educating a new generation of Lutherans, you're listening to Issues Etc. At Zion Lutheran Church, Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin, we've adopted the motto, a changeless Christ for a changing world. While many congregations try to market a message that appeals to what a changing world wants, we continue to give a constantly changing world what it needs. A changeless Christ in word and sacraments like the church has done for 2,000 years. If you're in Chippewa Falls and would like to have the forgiveness of sins, eternal life, and salvation that Jesus won on the cross and delivers today in his church, please join us poor miserable sinners. For more information, visit cfzionlutheran.com. 
The Simply Classical curriculum for special needs moves at my child's pace and gives her exactly what she needs. So writes Amber, a homeschooling mother who has joined thousands in homes and schools, teaching from this uniquely Christian classical approach to special education. Teach students with autism, learning disabilities, or Down syndrome based on ability level rather than chronological age. Use promo code LPR20 today at classicalspecialneeds.com. classicalspecialneeds.com. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. It's our series, The Words of Scripture, today, part two of a conversation with Pastor Will Whedon on the word joy. The next stopping place is Zechariah chapter 9. What do we find there, Will? I love this passage. It's so familiar to us, of course. Read every Palm Sunday and also the first Sunday in Advent, at least uh, in many of our churches. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. Is he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey? I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will release your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. So this is the last passage from the Old Testament that we're going to look at, and it is so familiar to us. Obviously fulfilled when Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. But note that the joy and the shouts that attend that joy are because of the arrival of the king who comes bringing salvation. He comes in humility, and yet his rule is over all, from sea to sea. And his covenant blood sets free from the waterless pit. Covenant blood, you know, I don't think it's an accident that embedded in our church's liturgy of the Eucharist is the song that is mentioned in the fulfillment of this prophecy. Benedictus quivinit, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he, blessed is he, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. We sing that as we're about to hear the covenantal words that deliver to us the covenantal blood that is the unending source of all our joy because it is the presence of Christ, the blood of Christ that wiped out the sins of the world, sets us free from the waterless pit from hell itself. I mean, you know, God comes among us in the body and blood of his son to impart to us a share in his own unending life. And that is joy everlasting. So we're moving from the Old Testament now to the New Testament. We haven't touched upon joy in the New Testament yet. Is there a difference between Old and New Testament in terms of of that word joy? Well, I mean, obviously we go from Hebrew to Greek. But uh, no, I don't think the content of that is is any real different, uh, really different there. Except that if I can put it this way, whereas in the Old Testament, the, the, the joy is occasioned by the presence of God, I think that, well, as we're going to hear in this first verse from, uh, from Luke that we'll look at, I, I believe he's actually going to announce that joy is a person and not just a presence, joy is a person. So you're referencing there Luke chapter two, where the angel says, fear not, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be to all people. And then, of course, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
Yeah, yeah. Make the case that he's announcing good news of Jesus, yeah. which is great joy. I think that's what literally what he means there because it's a title for who Jesus is. He is great joy and great joy for all people. The angel brings the good news that we can be done with fear because the Savior's come among us. And he he tells us specifically where we can find him. Because if you have a joy that you don't know where it is, that doesn't do you any good. But if the joy is located specifically for you, then your joy overflows and you have, like the shepherds, the running to the place where God has appointed. So just like they ran to where God told them that they could encounter that joy in human flesh, so we run to where he promises to be for us, back to what we just thought about a few moments ago from uh, Zechariah, he, he comes to us in the supper with his very body and blood, the same one. We come and literally find him there, and he is our overflowing joy. Yeah, as we sing in the church, you know, Jesus, joy of man's desiring, there it is. If you would, just talk a little bit about how picking up on that theme of being located someplace, they do two things. They say, you will find, this is a sign to you, you Mm -hmm. will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And then they go, let us go with great haste to see this thing which has been told to us. I want you to draw that out a little bit. We can't go to the manger. Right. That event is past. The manger is empty and gone. Where then? does God's word direct us to say, this shall be a sign unto you where you will find Jesus himself? Well, in the early Lutheran dogmaticians, one of the fascinating things was they put all of the doctrine of the sacraments under the category of de signis. So in other words, everything is a sign under the signs. Look for the sign and there's where God promises to be for you. So you want to know where that sign is? You look for where he's promised to be in holy baptism, in the sacrament of the altar, with the body and blood of Christ, in the words of absolution spoken into the ears of the people and with the laying on of hands. In these, he comes and promises to be there. This is the spot then where we need to run to go there. Luther very famously said, look, if I want my sins forgiven, I don't go to Calvary. He's long since gone from there. If I want my sins forgiven, I go to the supper which is where the forgiveness which was won on Calvary is delivered. He makes this big distinction between where salvation is achieved and where salvation is delivered. And the angel, by telling them, this is where you need to go, this is the sign that you will find, the the, the babe, and this is where you'll find your Savior, gives them a location where they can go to receive the promised salvation. That seems especially apropos of the season we're about to embark on, that one's Christmas, but this one, Lent, for some, they've already begun pre-Lent. Lent is now kind of back in vogue among Christians. There are Protestants who don't observe anything but Christmas and Easter who are giving second thought to Lent. But if they don't have the supper, then Lent becomes mere meditation, mere recollection. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a point that uh, uh, old crazy old von Schink drives home so often. It's like without the the anchor of the table, you end up with Christmas and Easter being celebrations of ideas instead of being the actual gift 
As he would say, if you want to draw the light from the crescent, you actually go to where the light is, where where the fire is. And the fire is at the altar. And there you will meet. If you want to go to Bethlehem, you go to the altar. If you want to go to, to the cross, to Calvary, you go to the altar. That's where the Calvary love is given you. That's where the Bethlehem love is given you. It's actually reached you very much there in the presence of Christ himself, who is there. The next place is also in Luke, and that's Luke 15. Of course, a cluster of Jesus' parables there. This one, in the first 10 verses, the lost sheep and the lost coin, those first two lost things. Yeah, I mean, I, w- I would love to have added all of it in, but all of Luke 15 would be, I mean, then the lost sons would have been uh, much there. But what's what's important in this is is the setup. Now, the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to hear him. So there's the picture, Jesus, Jesus, they're coming to Jesus They're running to Jesus to hear what he has to say. But the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. That's the setup. And it's like all three parables are Jesus' answer. Yeah, I killed Deus charged. That's what I do. I welcome sinners and I eat with them. And not only that, I summon them to enter into my joy. So you can see it in each of the parables. So he begins with, what man of you, if you have honored sheep and you lost one, doesn't leave the 90 and nine out in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. At that point, you want to stop and go, hello, would you do that? None of us would do that. That's absolutely silly. I mean, you you do that, you, you risk losing the 99. But he shows a totally different mindset in the heart of God. He goes after the one till he finds it. And when he finds it, He beats it and says, you stupid sheep, why did you cause me? No, no, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And then when he comes home, he gathers together his friends and his neighbors and he says, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. Think about the context. The Pharisees and the scribes are the neighbors. And he's saying, look, they've come home to me. Repentance is coming home to Yahweh. They've come home to Yahweh in the flesh here. Rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. They came home to me. Rejoice. And he says, just so there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 who don't need repentance. Similarly with the woman and the 10 coins, it's the same story all over again, right? The big point is rejoice with me. They've come home to me. I've got my coin now. I've got my my coin that I had lost. I found it. So there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Share my joy. Jesus is crying out to people who were mostly interested in criticizing him and finding fault with what he was doing. How dare he do this? He wants to open their eyes to get a glimpse of what goes on in the heart of God when sinners repent. To God, that is like the most awesome moment of all. It's the recovery of a treasured possession, the sheep, the coin, the son. And he summons us to enter that joy. And it's simply key to getting that that joy isn't happiness. Joy is Jesus and his presence among us as the one who seeks the lost and who actually welcomes the lost home with delight. We're talking about the word joy in Scripture in our series, The Words of Scripture, with Pastor Will Whedon, host of the daily short-form Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. We'll talk about the Pharisees grumbling and what they get and don't get about Jesus eating with sinners. If there was a pill I could give you that would make you immortal, how much would you pay for it? Pastor Jonathan Fisk, author of the Issues Etc. Book of the Month, Without Flesh. 
Because you see, that's exactly what we have. And it's priceless. But it's also free. So why is it that nobody's coming to our churches to get this immortality? I mean, we can say that it's all their fault. Or maybe there's something about it that we've forgotten. Learn more and purchase Without Flesh at issuesetc.org. Listen to the best of the church's music for the Epiphany season at lutheranpublicradio.org. Sacred music for the Epiphany season, 24-7. lutheranpublicradio.org. Concordia University Chicago is committed to keeping college affordable for all, and especially for LCMS Lutherans. We have scholarships available specifically for students who are LCMS members. This is Dr. Russell Dawn, president of Concordia Chicago, asking you to encourage your student to check out Concordia Chicago at cuchicago.edu. And if you are interested in supporting these scholarships, please find us online at foundation at cuchicago.edu. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Ad Crucem has crafted a series of posters to put what we believe, teach, and confess on display. See our Luther's Daily Prayers, the Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed, Liturgical Calendar, John 1 in Latin, and coming soon, the Athanasian Creed. Visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. Sanctifying your vocations with the Word of God. You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Bethlehem Lutheran, Parma, Ohio. Faith Lutheran, Waterloo, Iowa. Grace Lutheran, Wichita, Kansas. Lamb of God Lutheran, Papillion, Nebraska. Mount Olive Lutheran, Madison, Wisconsin. Prince of Peace Lutheran, Freedom, Pennsylvania. Shepherd of the Valley Lutheran, Perrysburg, Ohio. St. Matthew Lutheran, Lamont, Illinois. Zion Lutheran, Columbus, Ohio. And Christ the Shepherd Lutheran, Alpharetta, Georgia. Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click Support, Donate, and print the one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, we'll publicize your church on the radio, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. It's our series, The Words of Scripture, today part two on joy with Pastor Will Whedon. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Pastor Whedon will be leading our hymn study at the 2020 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. This year's theme is Northern Lights, Danish and Scandinavian Hymns. Making the Case is Friday, June 12th and Saturday, June 13th at Concordia University, Chicago. Attendance is limited to 500 and we are already up to 423 registrants. So that's getting full. Find out more and register at issuesetc.org or give us a call, 618-223-8385. The 2020 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, June 12th and 13th in Chicago. So, Will, I want to stick for a moment with the grumbling of the Pharisees. That's how their unbelief manifests itself. He eats with sinners and receives them. So, 
it seems as though they're not so much begrudging Jesus the mercy he is showing there. They don't even realize that he is showing them mercy. They don't recognize why Jesus is eating and drinking with them. I think what they're missing is that it's God that's eating with the sinners. <laughs> that's what they're absolutely not seeing. And what they're seeing is you're not playing fair. You're not playing according to the rules. Jesus, don't you know that if you hang around with the unclean, you become unclean? They had no concept that he had come into the flesh, literally that all the uncleanness of the world might come upon him so that his cleanness could come out on the entire world. That beautiful, sweet exchange was something that they were just blind to. And to them, it was really simply a matter of you're not, you're doing something which is dangerous and you're doing something which, which no one in their right mind ought to do. And he goes, oh, you really think that? Let me show you something that's even crazier than that. And as he goes through each of the parables, of course, the point is, how about God sending his son into the flesh to welcome home a world of sinners? Who, by the way, will kill him. I mean, he's going to get to have the craziness of that as he goes on with his parables. So it's not their, so much their disdain for the sinner types. Today, it's flattened out into, we shouldn't look down on other people. Oh, right. Because right, Jesus right, didn't right, look right. down on other Jesus people. Jesus didn't look down on them. But there's much, much, much more going yeah. on here. Yeah, this is a lot more than the, the, the gospel of universal acceptance or whatever you want to call it. This is the struggle of the law of God and the mercy of God, the struggle of righteousness and mercy, which is actually at the very heart of everything the scriptures reveal to us. And Jesus is the only way to reconcile those two together. And you see him doing it right here. Now, you do want to speak briefly, though, about the, the next big parable that comes there, kind of the capstone to this one, two, three punch that Jesus delivers. It is one of the my all-time favorite passages of, of the Holy Scriptures. It really is. In Luke 15, when he begins to unpack the Son, what really matters isn't— I mean, all the fo- everybody always focuses on the prodigal. That's not the point. Yes, he welcomed the prodigal home with open arms, right? He restores him so much. He gives him everything. But the real point of the parable is at the end where the older brother objects. It's like, what are you doing, dad? I've been faithful to you. And look at what you're, you're, you're welcoming that, that wretch back. He's wasted your money. He's wasted it with, 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 with women and with drugs and everything else. Why would you welcome him back? And and so this son of yours, I remember you see the distance there, this son of yours when he comes back. And the tenderness with which the father speaks to the older brother is just crucial. You know, son, you are with me always and everything that I have is yours. Will you also take this that is mine as yours? Will you welcome back your brother because it is my joy to do so. And I want to give you a brother to love again, not this son of yours, but this brother of yours. Will you welcome him back? It's right that we rejoice and be glad. He was dead. He had wandered away from me and now he's alive again. He came back home. He was lost and now he is found. This is the joy of God. He he wants us all to share that joy. In uh, John's gospel, Jesus says, I always find the pronouns in John's gospel to be so confusing. I say these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. What's the difference between Jesus' joy and our joy? And what does it mean to have his joy in us? 
Yeah, so this is John 15, verse verse 11. The, the, the key is that if Jesus is the gift of joy himself, like we saw in Luke, then for his joy to be in you is for Jesus himself to be in you. And for your joy to be full means that you fully appropriate the joy that is Christ. And what is the joy of Christ for you? What is this joy? Think about this. Jesus is the pardon for the sins of the world. Jesus is the forgiveness of all your sin. And more than that, Jesus is also the destruction of death. If you have inside of you, carrying inside of you, forgiveness for the sins that you've ever done, in fact, more forgiveness than you'll ever need in all your life, and you're carrying around inside of you something that's stronger than any death you're ever going to face. How could you not be dancing for joy? I mean, Luther has this beautiful passage where he talks about, you know, it is well with the man who belongs to an everlasting kingdom. He will dance through life forevermore in one of his Advent sermons. And that is exactly what Jesus is getting at here. I've given you these words. I've spoken these things to you so that as you hear these words and I am in these words and my father is in these words and my spirit is in these words, we, the Holy Trinity, may live inside of you and living inside of you, you may have a joy that does not have an end, a full joy. I mean, the picture of, of almost overflowing. In John chapter 16, he speaks in similar terms. Yeah, yeah. But now it's a, with respect to prayer in his name. Right, right. Until now, you haven't asked anything in my name. Would you all ask, you know, ask and receive so that your joy may be full again. So again, Full, fullness, fullness of joy is what he's after. He is not after some measly bits of joy in your life every now and again, you know, something that brightens up an otherwise awful life. That's not Jesus. Jesus is a joy bomb, so massive that joy itself fills and overflows us. Jesus is that. At least he is that when his joy is in us. And if Jesus is joy come into the world, you have to recognize that the spirit is joy come into the world because the spirit is the gift of joying in the son. The spirit is the father's joy over his son and the son's joy over his father, joy that is then a person. When the great, great teacher of the 16th century, Martin Chemnitz, he's the great one that <laughs> the saying is, if the second Martin had not come, the first Martin would not have lasted. So Martin Chemnitz, the second Martin, he unpacks the doctrine of the Trinity in his Loki Theologici. He says of the Spirit, this person is essential love and joy in God. Love and joy as an essence, as a person. The Spirit is that too. So it's the Son and the Spirit who are nothing but joy. How could they not be? They literally live eternally in the presence of the Father. I want to come back to that kind of Trinity thing in a moment, but what does it mean to ask in my name? What is ah. he saying we, we are now privileged and given to do? So the wrong way to hear it is you ask whatever your sinful desires uh, dictate to you and you slap at the end of it, in the name of Jesus, amen, and you expect to get what that is. No, he's instead locating the promises that are for you. In other words, anything that's in his name anything that's in his name as the son, anything that is part of his inheritance, it is yours. He's given it all over to you. So when you ask in the name of Jesus, you are asking what 
the Father has forked over to the world in the gift of his Son. You ask for his joy, you ask for his life, you ask for his love, you ask for his spirit, you ask for everything that's in him, his patience, his endurance, all that you ask for. And the father says, oh, yes, Todd, it's my joy to give that to you. You had mentioned something there before, and that is that the father, the son, and the spirit from all eternity have shared this mutual joy among each other, that they that they rejoice in one another, is that what Jesus is inviting us to enter into? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, if you picture love primarily as, you know, this pouring out and giving of self to the other, the Father eternally loves the Son, and the Son eternally loves the Father, and the Spirit is the eternal love that flows between Father and Son. What is it then that flows back as the Father's delight in the Son, and the Son's delight in the Father, and the Spirit's delight in either one, and their delight in Him? The delight, that feature of the perichoresis, the interaction of the three persons of the Trinity together, is what we usually mean by sharing in God's joy, that we come to share in his delight. And I just can't get it. I mean, like, okay, if, if he's only made one Todd Wilkin. There's only one. There'll only be one in all the world. What an idiot I'd be if I didn't rejoice in this particular one that he set in front of me, that I can have joy in this one, in this unique gift. So it is when he's, when we look at each person around us, each one is actually a unique gift of joy, which God is offering to us because he has only made that one thing that one time he doesn't repeat it. It'll never happen again. It's just the one. And so you get to rejoice in that peculiar gift. This is the Trinity's overflow of giftingness into the world so that from the Father, from the Son, and from the Holy Spirit, we have this delight that comes to be in the various gifts that God himself is giving. And this is joy. Joy, which is always recognizing the gift is given in the Son by the Spirit. I wonder, is it that only Christians can look at others like that as that unique gift of joy? We'll get Pastor Will Whedon's answer to that question next. If you appreciate Issues Etc., Talk Radio for the Thinking Christian, and Lutheran Public Radio, Sacred Music for the World, please include a bequest in your will or trust for these worldwide media resources. Bequests aren't subject to federal tax or capital gains taxes. Ensure your children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren the opportunity to listen by including a bequest in your will or trust for Issues Etc. and Lutheran Public Radio. Preach the gospel at all times. Use words when necessary. I prefer St. Paul who says faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And that's what the February issue of the Lutheran Witness is all about, hearing and believing. It includes articles about hearing with your eyes, singing the gospel, listening to the word of God in sermons, and proclaiming the gospel in foreign lands. Visit cph.org witness to subscribe today. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the contemporary world, from a Lutheran perspective, cph.org slash witness. Old theology, new technology, you're listening to Issues Etc. We Lutherans were never aided by following along with some other traditions, theological priorities, and catchphrases. 
Issues Etc. regular guest, Pastor Heath Curtis, Coordinator for Stewardship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod on a Lutheran approach to stewardship. Other folks are not approaching it from our good, solid Lutheran understanding of law and gospel and vocation. There's a place to talk about this in Christianity, and we have a way of talking about stewardship as Lutherans without ever using the word stewardship, if you like. I'm going to talk to you today about your vocation in your home, in your church, in your society, and how each one of these makes a claim on you, on your presence, on your support, on your prayers. That's how we should talk about this as Lutherans. You'll find several stewardship resources at lcms.org slash stewardship, lcms.org slash stewardship. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. It's our series on the words of Scripture, part two of a conversation with Pastor Will Whedon on the word joy. Well, before the break, you were talking about looking upon others, everyone else, as a unique gift of joy. Can only Christians look at others like that? Yeah, I would think that that's probably true. To much of the world, uh, people are interchangeable cogs, you know, and they try to find out what we all have in common. Even in this culture that we live in that focuses so much on um, identity of victimhood or something like that, you know, it's it's what you have in common with everybody else that you're being oppressed on. Uh, that, that's the exact opposite of looking at the actual individual there and saying, what is this person here that is in front of me that God has said, what, what is unique about this one that, that he's only done here that for me to celebrate and, and thank him for? Isn't it strange though, Will, that the world's version of that, the one that we're dealing with right now, I don't know about past versions, but the world's perversion mm-hmm. of that is to say, they even say, God made me this way. That means you must rejoice in this thing that you shouldn't be rejoicing in. My sexual proclivities or whatever they may be, mm-hmm. they multiply out there in society. That's a strange perversion of this self-giving joy, but rather than you, well, ha- you have to rejoice in me. Yeah, no, it, yeah, it's 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 saying rejoice in that which afflicts me, as opposed to rejoice in that which the way God Himself has made me, which is never the you know the the deficit, if you will, the thing that's gone wrong in us, the hole, if if I can put it that way. And every one of us carries around these holes inside. You're not asking them to rejoice in that. You're asking them to rejoice in what's still left of what God himself has done here. And he really, I mean, there's much to rejoice in in that way. Much. You need to give us some context for this next passage, Romans chapter 14, verse 17, that just kind of pulled out of its context, just kind of picks up with, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Right. So when you come across a four, it's always good to find out what what's that for there for. And, and if you look back in, in Romans, of course, he's got this context of Christians judging each other. He started Romans that way, right? You know, looking down on each other, condemning one another. And, and he's He's dealing in chapter 14 specifically with opinions of Christians who follow dietary laws and Christians who don't, and Christians who observe holy days and Christians who don't. And and all I mean all those kind of, if you will, sort of the Jewish Christians and then the Gentile Christians who didn't have a lot of that stuff going on, and yet they're called to be one church, one church in Christ. And he's encouraging them, don't pass judgment on each other. 
He says that right there in verse verse 13. Rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean of itself. It's unclean for everyone who thinks it's unclean. And if your brother's grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. You know, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. And then, so don't let your good be spoken of as evil. Then right into the verse we looked at there. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. That is observing the Jewish dietary laws or any kind of fasting laws the church comes up with. That That's not what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God instead is, and this is the only place in scripture where the kingdom of God is defined, is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So we've already seen that joy is Jesus. Now we're hearing joy is the Spirit. Joy is the gift of the Holy Spirit from his presence. And he comes with the gifts of righteousness and peace as well. That is, he gives you this gift of perfect righteousness in Jesus, in his finished work. Jesus, Yahweh Tzedekinu, Jeremiah, the Lord is our righteousness. Yahweh is our righteousness. Jesus is your righteousness. And peace, Jesus has said, my peace I leave with you, peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. And joy then, joy comes into your life when you know Jesus is your righteousness and the peace in your heart that reigns from knowing your sins are forgiven and your death is destroyed. You have a giddy joy in the spirit that comes from that. And when you pray then, God's kingdom come, that's what you're praying for. Lord, give me the righteousness, give me the peace, and give me the joy which are in the Holy Spirit. These are your gifts to us. So this is very parallel to the Pharisees looking in on Jesus, eating and drinking with sinners. Yeah. Christians looking in on fellow Christians saying, you're not following my conscience when it comes to these ceremonial laws or these feast days. Or you're not doing it my way. Yes. that's What you're doing is not fair. Why are you enjoying a hamburger on Friday? You should be suffering under eating fish. <laughs> that kind of uh, of an attitude. Also some context, if you would, for the less visited of Paul's Corinthian letters, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He's there in the opening, and he starts out by saying, we don't lord it over your faith. What is it, and what does it mean to lord over someone's faith? Yeah, this is such a beautiful. I I, I love this entire uh, opening. I mean, he starts out with he, I mean, he's had a troubled relationship with this church, right? It, it's been in many ways. Corinth is his problem congregation, and if you remember back in second or rather in first Corinthians, one of the problems was that his own work that was kind of discredited as he's not quite an apostle of the same degree, say as uh, Peter and cert or Cephas as he's called there. And certainly also he doesn't speak as nicely as Apollos. He's not polished with the, the rhetoric of, of an Apollo. So he, he was like a second rank apostle. And so do you really need to listen to what he says? And he's like, you know, I came to you and and I gave the witness to Christ among you. I'm not trying to make myself be this great boss of you or anything like that. I call God to witness against me, says verse 23. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming to, I, I wasn't coming to beat up on you guys because you know, we, that is Paul and Timothy says, you know, we, we do not lord it over your faith. We work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. So Paul's like, I'm not here to be the, the guy who's telling you what you have to do. I am here to be the servant 
for your great joy. I, I want to give you a joy that you may have in Jesus and in the Spirit. Now, CFW Walther, in his proper distinction between law and gospel, said, every pastor should make this first text that he preaches on after his installation be this. I'm not here to lord it over you. I am here to work with you for your joy so that you can stand firm in your faith. Joy again, the hallmark of Christian ministry, to strengthen and impart joy to the people of God. Have you ever thought about how transformed the church would be if every pastor just stopped and realized, wait a minute, I'm here to be a servant to the joy of my people. I am here to proclaim the presence that transforms the waste places. That's what my job here is to do. We come now to the place where joy is coupled with all sorts of other things that rightly describe Jesus, our Savior, and put into this this idea of the fruit of the Spirit. So in Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit, and again, it starts with a but, so mm-hmm. we need to look at what came before. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Yeah, the but is there because of the works of the flesh, which are in contrast to the fruits, the fruit rather of the spirit. I mean, it's singular. It is fruit of the spirit. The works of the flesh he mentions are manifest, all the stuff that tear people apart and cause divisions among humanity. And, you know, the lies, the heresies, the party spirit, and the, all the, the lusts of the flesh that just tear communities and families and people apart. And the contrast that he sets up then is this fruit, singular, the works are plural, the fruit is singular, the fruit of the Spirit. And I suspect that we should hear this passage as the fruit of the Spirit is love, colon, that is joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. So, I mean, it's just expounding what the gift of the Spirit bringing us the love of God into our hearts that we know that we have been loved by him with this love, immeasurable, vast, divine. It produces in us these things. It produces joy. It produces peace. It produces patience. It produces kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And there's no law that's going to stand in opposition to these things because they're produced by the spirit who gave the law. You know, All these attributes, for lack of a better word, belong properly to God alone. Right, right. They're byproduct of his presence. I mean, we can't say this often enough. When the dogmaticians tried to unpack this, they they did such a beautiful job. I mean, these great teachers of Lutheranism in the uh, 16th, 17th centuries, they would, you know, they put each in its proper order and they always put mystical union ahead of renovation. Do you get that? So God himself justification first, that's instantaneous and in a moment, right? He declares you not guilty. But when he declares you not guilty, in that he also comes to you with the Spirit to dwell within you so that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. And with Christ coming to live inside of you by the Spirit, everything that is Christ begins making a new you. (laughs) And so the renovation, the new life, or what the Augsburg Confession would call the new obedience that arises, it literally arises out from the very presence of God inside of us so that it's not happening because you are morally improving by your own effort. Say it the other way around. Moral effort happens because of the advent of God inside of you. It's a presence and gift which then works its way out. It's our series on the words of Scripture today, part two of a conversation with Pastor Will Whedon on Joy. Pastor Whedon is 
author of the book Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands. You can purchase these books by calling Concordia Publishing House weekdays during regular business hours, 1-800-325-3040, or browse before you buy on the Talk on Demand archives page at issuesetc.org. What if we try that renovation, so to speak, without Christ in residence? What's the result? We'll find out next. Declaring to you the whole counsel of God, you're listening to Issues Etc. What makes Christ Our Savior Lutheran Church in Freeburg, Illinois so special? Our new members talk about the family atmosphere, the welcoming people, and the outstanding music. But most importantly, you'll be confronted with your sin and comforted with the assurance that Jesus has removed that sin so that you can live each day as his baptized and forgiven child. Christ Our Savior Lutheran Church is at 612 North State Street in Freeburg, Illinois. Sunday worship is at 9 a.m., Sunday school and Bible classes at 1020 a.m. Call 618-539-5664. Hi, folks. This is Matt Harrison, president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Join us for the March on the Arch, Saturday, March 7, the pro-life event for you to confess your belief that life is a sacred thing. Check-in begins at 11 a.m. and a rally at 12.30, and then marching from the West End at Planned Parenthood to the Arch in St. Louis. Check out lcms.org slash marchforlife, lcms.org slash marchforlife. Did you know that for over 40 years, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries with low-cost loans and resources? This is Rahema Kavuga, Synod Relations Manager of Lutheran Church Extension Fund. Because of faithful investors like you, we've been able to help church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations. To learn how you can get involved, call 800-843-8233. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. It's our series on the words of Scripture today, part two of a conversation with Pastor Will Whedon on the word joy. In about five minutes, Pastor Brian Wolf Miller will join us. Our series on introducing the books of the Bible will continue as we get into 1 Thessalonians. Will, before the break, you were talking about that renovation, that, that metaphor for what it is that the presence of Christ affects in the Christian in their life, an actual change in, in the life of the Christian, if we try to achieve that renovation without Christ in residence, what's the result? Well, then you're just a pagan. I mean, that, that that's like what the philosophers tried to do, right? You know, you pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and see how well it goes. You won't ever be able to attain any of these things because the, the joy that is in the Trinity, the peace that is in the Trinity, the incredible patience of God, these are things we cannot produce on our own. I mean, we have some sort of a dim idea about what joy should be and what peace should be and what what patience should be or kindness, but it's really dim and distorted. And when you compare it to how we actually live it out, it's completely pale, but you look then at what they are in Christ and Christ coming into you to bring them into you by his presence. All of a sudden, it's a very different ballgame. You're like, wow, now I have 
inside of me a source of joy that has no end. It was the joy in the Father that, that is the Son's presence from the beginning or from before the beginning of creation. You know, I have a peace that's unshakable now inside of me because it's Christ's peace. It's not mine. I mean, it's mine because he's given it to me, but it doesn't arise from my flesh. It arises as a result of the gift of God. And yet it is then my patience. It's given me as my own. This is what Paul means in Galatians 2 when he says, you know, I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, that I live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me and to live my life by the faith of Jesus, by his love, his joy, his peace, his patience. We turn to Philippians 4.4, which is kind of Paul's refrain throughout that entire epistle. Yeah, I mean, if Corinth is his problem congregation, Philippi is, you know, the real sweet little honeymoon spot. (laughs) He had a great relationship with the church at Philippi from the beginning. So Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. This is one I always want to dwell on. Rejoice in the Lord always. Hey, I like sunsets and beautiful weather and spring days and flowers. And all these things always seem to call out to all people, you know, oh, rejoice. The always reaches further. It reaches all the way to what Paul said in Romans 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. He has been given to us. We rejoice in suffering, he said. That is just an amazing statement. You see him doing it, him and Silas, in Acts 16, where the church of Philippi is being founded, where they wake up in jail in the middle of the night, having been beaten senseless, right? They begin right away singing hymns of praise to God. St. Peter picks up the exact same thought. He says uh, in chapter four of his first epistle, beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes on you as though you were suffering something strange, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Or again, in the first chapter of Peter's first epistle, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Joy, inexpressible. It's such a great term for this overflowing joy that makes no sense to the world, which we have always then, even to the point when we're suffering for Christ, we're able to still be in joy. And that's what makes the world, I mean, they're like, that is so weird. There's something wrong with y'all. And we're like, yeah, this actually shows what's right with with us, and it didn't arise from us. The byproduct of his presence. How do we prevent Paul's words? As they're often presented, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. You can't be more emphatic than that. How do we prevent them from becoming coerced joy? Because coerced joy is not joy. It's not joy. It's not joy. It's, you know, no. I think the key is in the Lord. He, he's inviting you to find in the Lord a joy that is always. So that requires you to step back and and look away from the emotions to look instead to what is it that's been given you in the Lord? What is yours in the Lord? And when you see what's yours in the Lord, as he said, the forgiveness of all your sins, the destruction of death, the gift of an eternal life, of his kingdom, of joy with his people, you begin to realize, oh, you know, I may feel just really crappy today and it's okay. 
because I still have in Jesus something that no amount of, of heartache is going to ever be able to take away from me. First Peter 1, beginning with verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though yeah. you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with the joy that is inexpressible. Yeah, we, we kind of just spoke about that. The joy that is inexpressible, that this is the overflowing joy that simply makes no sense to the world. And it's inexpressible because it is Jesus' own joy. It's a joy that is eternal in him and so unfathomable, does not make... It's like, how could such joy really belong to people? And yet he plants this joy down into humanity. I, I go back to those words over and over again from Nietzsche. You Christians lost the world when you lost your joy. He nailed that. If there's one thing the early church came into the scene with, it was this explosion of joy that ran up and down the social ladder, right? I mean, it was the, the wealthy people were rejoicing in it and the poorest people, the slaves, they were all rejoicing in it together. They had been given in Jesus a joy. And what is that joy? The joy of, of resurrection, the joy of redemption. How do we distinguish that from, we all have these moments. I know you do because you post them online sometimes where you wake up in the morning and there's this beautiful sunrise and I see Will Whedon post something and maybe a Bible passage or just, you're just rejoicing in the day, that kind of stuff. How do we distinguish that Christian joy from that kind of euphoric moment that many people have where they say life is good or something like yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, Everything seems to be going good for me. Yeah, I think this is a really, that is such a great question because if you look at the heathen joy in that moment, God is in that joy calling them to himself. They just don't realize it. The Christian has the fullness of joy in that when they recognize, that's you calling me to yourself, isn't it? That's so beautiful. I can see the beautiful sunrise and realize there is a sun of righteousness that rises with healing in his wings and his rays, and he is going to shine upon this world. And every single beautiful sunrise that I get to see calls me and reminds me of that day. So, that's already present in the way that the heathen experiences the world. God is through it all witnessing. I mean, that's what Paul said, uh, you know, in Acts, right? You know, he did not leave himself without witnesses. I mean, he did good to you. And part of the good that we experience that God does for us is actually celebrating and enjoying what I like to call the, you know, the beauty of God's front porch. This is the front porch. It's not the final day. Wait till you pass through the front door and go inside. You're going to be like, wow, the inside's bigger than the front porch. It's like, of course it is. But the front porch is what we're living in now, what you can see now, and, and all of it. He is calling us and inviting us to enter into his own joy. There's a hymn for the beauty of the earth, not the one we ordinarily sing, but it's a different version of it that has this list of all these, we'd say as Lutherans, first article gifts. Yeah, first article gifts. But then it transitions into things we cannot see. Right? I mean, it's like once you move, once you move from the beauty of the creation, you realize the creator that did all of this came into the flesh in Jesus Christ, walked among us, and he did that to open up to us this world that is unseen and that's, that he, this is where our real final home is. He's calling us to this. Then it's from the second article, if you will, that the first article begins to come into its own. So like you said, you can see the sunset, but when you put it with the verse of scripture, all of a sudden you go, yeah, 
I had fun doing this on my uh, um, my recent vacation where I would just see a beautiful scene. And it was like every everywhere around me, the Psalms were just popping open before my eyes. You know, you hear the roar of the sea, you see it and, and you think, you know, your hands formed the dry land and the sea. You know, you made the sea itself. Or my favorite from Psalm 107, you know, they that go down to the sea in ships and do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. And I thought, oh, yes, exactly, exactly. The verse that we had before from John's gospel is now kind of opened up in John's epistle, the first epistle in chapter one there. What verses would you have us focus on? Yeah, okay, this is really great. I just think we need to go all the way back to verse one to sort of pick up the one to four. So that which was from the beginning which would be Jesus, which we have heard, which would be Jesus, which we have seen with our eyes, which would be Jesus, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands. Remember John lying in his his bosom during the Last Supper. Concerning the word of life, he is that word of life. The life was manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, it was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. Why? So that you too may have a share with us, fellowship with us, koinonia with us. And indeed, our koinonia, our fellowship, our communion is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. And we write these things to you so that what? I mean, here, himon or hemon, it's really hard to tell which way it should go from the Greek. So that our joy may be complete or so that your joy may be complete. It works either way. I really like that your joy may be complete. What greater joy is there? And sharing with other people the fellowship that you've come to know and experience in the Son, with the Father, in the Spirit, so that that joy can fill them up the same way it fills you up. It's just such a delight. You also wanted to look at the last two verses of this short New Testament book, the book of Jude, which is a doxology and a benediction at the same time. Yeah, it's, it's really beautiful. The whole little book of Jude is so ignored. Well, I definitely have to do that on the word that the Lord endures forever one of these days here. Jude 24, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. You know, and the point of this last bit is just to underline this amazing truth. If you think the foretaste of the joy in Jesus and his spirit that you've enjoyed here and now is awesome, you ain't seen nothing yet. Just wait. Wait till you stand before him on that day and you're blameless because you're covered with the righteousness of Christ. He presents you that way. And you see with your eyes the Lord Jesus and the fulfillment of everything that he promised to give you as your own. Your joy is going to expand beyond anything that you ever dreamed possible. In other words, you're going to realize my tasting of joy. I tasted the fullness of joy in Jesus, but I didn't taste it nearly enough. It's more here than I could ever imagine. So talk to that person who's having one of those days where everything seems to just kind of come together and their natural response is simply to say, life is good. Life is good. Isn't this nice? Speak to them as a pastor and say, there's more. Let me tell you how you get there. Yeah, you would want to say, first of all, affirm the joy that they're tasting in the day and say, is not God good? 
Is not he wonderful in what he's given you to experience here? But what you've experienced here is like, imagine this is a teasing taste that he set in front of you to make you long for even more. Somebody I can't even imagine anymore. You're like, oh yeah, he's got something that's so much more for you. And Todd, I think this is really key to helping people get it. Don't picture the joy of eternal life as static. Let me say that one more time. Do not picture the joy of eternal life as static, as though it doesn't grow. Because throughout eternity, you get to grow in your union with him. And that means you appropriate unto yourself ever greater joy in him. Or said another way, he gives you ever greater joy in yourself. It does not come to an end. Just because you're holy in him and in the kingdom, what you are holy in is so massive that there is no end. This is why we say at the end of the prayers, forever and ever, forever and ever. I mean, like the whole point is, it goes on forever and ever. And your joy, your joy that you love so much here in this world right now, it is but the dimmest shadow of what will be fully yours on that day. And you will be feasting your eyes on the Savior the saints and the angels, and your joy will will literally just continue to grow for all eternity. This is one of the most exciting. This is this is this is blessedness, blessedness that keeps growing. Finally, will you host a daily fifteen minute verse by verse Bible study for Lutheran Public Radio called "The Word of the Lord Endures Forever"? What can you tell us about this week's teachings? Well, we're wrapping up the Passion, so we'll see. My kingdom is not of this world. Behold, the man. Pilate and also saying, behold your king, the great line, it is finished. And then not one of his bones will be broken. The Passover lamb. Listen to Pastor Will Whedon and the word of the Lord endures forever at thewordendures.org and on the Lutheran Public Radio mobile app. Pastor Will Whedon is assistant pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois, formerly served as director of worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, hosts a daily short-form Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, and he's author of the books Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands. Will, thanks. Thanks so much, Todd. After the break, Pastor Brian Wolfmiller joins us as we continue our series on introducing the books of the Bible. We'll be looking at what is probably Paul's first epistle that he ever wrote, 1 Thessalonians. Most people know it for the alleged rapture that it contains. We'll see if that's what it says after this. You can meet and hear Mark and Molly Hemingway, Robert George, Albert Moeller, Brian Wolfmiller, Hans Feeney, and Will Whedon at the 2020 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, Friday, June 12th and Saturday, June 13th in Chicago. For more information, visit issuesetc.org or call 618-223-8385. The 2020 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, June 12th and 13th at Concordia University, Chicago. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ, teaches St. Paul. But what about those who cannot hear? Can they be saved? The February issue of The Lutheran Witness illuminates this topic and others, including hearing the gospel while singing the faith, how to listen to sermons, and proclaiming the gospel in foreign lands. Come, learn how the church confesses the word in words. 
Visit cph.org slash witness to subscribe today. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the contemporary world from a Lutheran perspective. cph.org slash witness. You can teach lay people theology. You're listening to Issues Etc. Did you know that many LCMS military personnel and their families are unable to receive word and sacrament ministry due to the lack of LCMS chaplains? Ministry to the Armed Forces is looking for pastors who will answer the call to serve as a chaplain to provide word and sacrament ministry to the men and women who selflessly serve our nation. Find out more about this exciting ministry by contacting me, Chaplain Craig Mueller, at lcmschaps at lcms.org. That is lcmschaps at lcms.org. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we'll study My Kingdom is Not of This World. Behold the man! We have no king but Caesar. It is finished, and not one of his bones will be broken. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, as we continue our walk through St. John's Gospel on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily verse-by-verse Bible study on demand at thewordendures.org and on the Lutheran Public Radio app.